good being with you all week. Most pleasant. And for, for all of you, for the privilege, it's an honor to stand here and share about Jesus today. At Campion Academy, my. One of our kids graduated here a lot of years ago, and she has done so well. Okay, are we up and running? I'd like to talk to you this morning about when God smiles. And the easiest way to go through that process is for you to join me in looking at uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read to you from the message version of Scripture. Eugene Peterson, when he translated the Bible uh, into modern English so that your grandchildren will understand it, he said. This is the way he approached Romans 12. So, here's what I want you to do. This is Paul speaking to you and me today at Campion. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. And it's really important for you to remember that last little phrase. We'll come back to it in just a minute. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're getting up, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now, that's why I want you to go back and look at that first part of the verse again. If my job, if this is what Paul is saying a Christian must do in living the Christian life, gets to be a bit of a challenge because I don't know how to give God my life. But God says, the one thing I want you to do is take everything you are and give it to me. And if you don't know how to do that, I will help you. If this just said, you got to do this, figure it out, it's a miracle, it's, it's kind of a secret code. No, God doesn't do that. He says, I want all of you. And if you don't know how to make that happen, I'll help you. Because I really want you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're getting up, going to classes, walking around, talking to friends, climbing the mountains, doing algebra sort of life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Now, I would have translated it differently. And if I could sit down with Eugene Peterson and say, why did you do this? There's one word in here that really bothers me. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I would change that to only. Embracing what God does for me is the only thing I can do for him. There were times in my life where I listened to preachers stand up in front of churches like this one and say, you must, and then talk about behaviors. You must do this, you must do that, you must be this way, you must be those way. Uh, you'll never hear me do that. I will say, you must let God fill you so you can truly be Him to the world. It's a big difference. And this line is the one that has become core to my understanding of what Christianity, spirituality, life is all about. Embracing what God does for me is the only thing I can do for Him. In other words, if you go back to some of Paul's other writings, one of the times he's talking in Ephesians and he says, you know, do what God does. And what God does is love you and do that for everybody. That is what Christianity is all about. And I believe that. And to help talk about that just a little bit, I have three very quick stories for you today. And the first is about my friend Life Mutaka the man who was born twice. Well, and who died twice, too. Uh, here's the story. I'm in Zambia, 
right south, by the way, of Riverside Farms, where you were showing the mission story this morning for the guys. Oh, and we're building a church. It's just a normal little brick church, block church out in the boonies. And it is so hot that the locals have actually put up a, a bit of a tent. It's nothing fancy. But I went in there to get some drink because I was just broiling in the heat. And there's this guy in a suit with a tie. And I thought, this man is off his rocker. And so I went over and sat down beside him. And I said, hi, my name's Dick. And he said, hi, my name's Life. And I laughed, and he laughed, and we became good friends. And I said, so why did they call you Life? And he said, because I was dead when I, when I was born. He said, here's the story, Dick. I was in a little tiny village out, and he starts describing typical Zambia backcountry where they call them houses, but they're not, but they are. And he said, that's where I lived. When I was born, they called the midwife from down the village. She came running in. She worked with my mother all night long, and she couldn't, I, I couldn't be delivered. And then when finally I was born, late after hours and hours and hours I came out and the midwife grabbed my feet and whacked me and whacked me and bumped me up and down and shook me and I didn't do anything and the midwife took me baby just born laid me on my mother's chest and said this one's no good you need to try again and left and my father and mother burst into tears. And just about then, another lady came into the house, another midwife. We didn't know her, never seen her at all. Figured she must have been from a village far away that somebody called, I don't, I don't know. But the midwife came into my house, looked at me, looked at my mother, looked at my father, went over to me, lifted me up off of my mother's chest, looked me in the eye, watched me hard and said, God needs this baby. And then she shook me really hard and I went, Wah! like a good baby should. And mama went, yeah, he's alive. And then the lady looked at my mom and dad and said, call him life for God needs him. And then she left. We never saw her again. They never saw her again. I don't, I don't remember very much about that day. <laughs> and Life and I were having this crazy conversation. And I said, but, but you told me, Life, that you, were, that you died twice? Oh, yeah, once when I was born, I was dead. And then my parents, they did something really weird. My parents sent me away to a little tiny Adventist uh, school, elementary school, out by the, the Zambezi River. Uh, there weren't very many of us students, but it was, it was operated by somebody from Europe, and, and they were really kind and nice, and they taught really well. And so my parents said, that's where I should go to school. They took me there, and I lived in a little rondavel with three other boys. And then one day, somebody asked a pastor person to come and Talk about Jesus for a whole week. And on Friday, the pastor talked about something he called baptism. I didn't understand what he was talking about, but Friday afternoon he came to my little rondavel and he sat down by my bed and he said, Life, God wants you. And I said, Good. And he said, God wants you so much that tomorrow morning I want you to be the first of the boys at the school who are baptized in the Zambezi River. And I said, but what does that mean? And he says, well, what it means is I will put you down in the water and you will die so that you can have Jesus live in you. I want you to be first, okay? And because I was a good boy, a good student, I said, fine, whatever. And then he left, and I cried. I didn't want to die. What a pit. And life, you know, this life dude is talking to me and telling me this story. And he says, 
so after everybody had gone to sleep that night, I got up and with a little bit of light, I, 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 I looked at all the stuff I had. There's only three or four little things, but I put the names of my best friends underneath the, the little car I had, I, I, my Bible, the special Bible, and, and all my stuff. And then I wrote a letter to my mother and father. Dear mom and dad, I love you very much. Tomorrow morning, the pastor tells me I will die so that Jesus can live in me. I don't know what that means, but I want you to know that I've loved you very, very much, and I'm very sorry I will be gone. In the morning, they had worship service, and after the worship service, we went down to the Zambezi River right beside the school. There were people who had gotten in the river to keep make sure the hippos didn't come and eat us while we, we were in the water, and uh, pastor was out there and he said, life, come, you're first. I went down and went out into the water. And he said, he, he put a handkerchief over my face and he said, God, life wants to give his life to you. Take him now, I pray. And then he pushed me under the water. Do you know, Dick, the best feeling I have ever had is coming up out of that water. <laughs> I knew I was going to die, and then all of a sudden the water is flowing off my face, and I realize I'm alive. Yes, that's why I'm called Life. <laughs> that's my buddy, Life Mutaka. And I said, well, what does it mean then to be alive? And he says, it's that I have given God everything. Oh, by the way, I went back to my hut really fast and tore up the letter to my parents and took the names of everybody off of all my stuff. <laughs> Life went on to get a PhD in education and become the associate director of education for the country of Zambia. When he retired from that job, he became the director of education for the Adventist Church in Zambia. And because of his leadership as chairman of the board, Rusango Adventist University became the largest Seventh-day Adventist university in the world. Life. You want to know what it's about? When you take your everyday ordinary getting up, going to work, doing stuff, life, and place it before God as an offering, that's what life can tell you is about. That's living. So, Mohican Indian, Pennsylvania area. The United States government came to their homes and said, we have white people who want your land. So we're going to give you land in Wisconsin. You are so lucky. And they moved them all off their home country to Wisconsin, to a place that was not anything like where they had grown up, and said, this is your new home. It's called a reservation. And by the way, there are no schools here. So if your children ever want to go to school, you must go to the chief, you must go to the Indian agent, and the Indian agent will give you permission to go to a school. So before you, now that you're here in Wisconsin, this new reservation, you'll need to get new American names. And so Grandpa stood in line, finally got to the Indian agent, and the Indian agent said, I've used up all the men's names. I don't have any more. I'll, have to, I'll give you my name, okay? I'm George Church, so you are now George Church, all right? No longer a Mohican. You are now an American by the name of George. That was Grandpa. So Grandpa started to try and figure out how to live in Wisconsin. His son, George, tried to figure out how to live in Wisconsin. It was discouraging, it was depressing, it was awful, it was nasty. And George, the second, the third actually, had two boys and three girls. One of the boys' name was Art. Art wanted to go to school. And so the Indian agent worked it out with his parents, and they put him on a train and shipped him to Kansas. 
to an Indian school. When he got there, he found that he had to wear weird checkered black and red clothes so that if he ever went into town, people would know he was an Indian, not a white man, not a real person. The food that they ate was spoiled potatoes. It was an awful, 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 awful experience. And then one year, the, the flu was just overwhelming the world. And the people at the Indian school believed that if they let the kids go home to the reservation for Christmas, which they had done before, that if they let them go home for Christmas, all of the children would catch the flu in the reservation because, you know, Indians get flu faster than everybody else. And uh, then they would bring it back and they would, it would kill the white people in Kansas. And so they didn't let the kids go home for Christmas. This is a true story. So Art had to stay at school for Christmas in Kansas rather than go home to what wasn't really home, but it was where his parents lived in Wisconsin. He cried a lot. And every day he would go down to the, the mail room. I don't know what it looked like. The best that they've been able to describe it to me is that they were little metal boxes that were square that had a little window in them and a, and a dial with a combination. And he would check to see if he'd gotten any mail from home. It was the only thing he lived for was mail from home. And when he was playing with the dial, open, nothing there. Day after day after day after day, there was no mail. On December 24, he went down once more crying. I want to go home. I want to be with my parents. This is, I hate this. I want to be me. And when he opened his little, I think it was 127, if I remember right, was the number of his mailbox on the mailboxes. There was a letter. He took it out and saw that on the outside it was his mother's writing. She didn't really know how to read or write much, but she had little words, and she, he could tell it was mom's writing. He grabbed it, tucked it as close to his heart as he could, ran out of the room, and ran all the way across campus to the boys' dormitory. And in the little boys' dormitory, there was a place underneath the stairs where he could hide Harry Potter-like, down where nobody could ever find him, and it was dark, and he took his little match, and he opened the letter and lit it so he could see it. And this is what the letter said. Merry Christmas, son. We can't wait till you come home. Love, mother. And Art cried for an hour under the stairwell, hugging the love letter from his mom. And there at the bottom right corner of the card, she had stitched a United States dime onto the card. That was a lot of money. He never spent the dime because that card was like holy to him. Somebody loved him so much. As Art grew up, he had several children. One of them's name is Monty. Monty Church. Monty Church grew up to be Director of Native American Ministries for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in America. A man who teaches that when you open your arms wide, you encourage people to be the best they can be as they are. You don't tell them they need to be white or green or yellow or red or speak English or Spanish or French or Mohican, you just say, God made you you. If you give yourself to him, he will grow you as his kid.
and you'll never need to spend a dime. I was preaching for a camp meeting far, far away. You know how Grandpa tells the story? Long ago and far away in a country. (laughs) And when I was through speaking one evening, a lady came up to me and said, I need to talk to you. So I sat down. I've I've learned in my life to sit when people say they need to talk because usually it's going to be longer than I want to stand and listen. So I sat, and Karen looked at me and said, you're not going to believe this story. Bob! (laughs) And Bob came running into the tent. I'm coming. So now I've got Bob and Karen. Karen said, I'm going to tell the story, and Bob will add the pieces. She said, I was raised without Christianity. And one day down in San Diego, California, in Mission Bay, I was busy at work when Bob walked in the door. And Bob said, well, I had a torn jacket. And Bob was a uh, motorcycle nut in uh, San Diego County. He rode a big Harley. He powered it everywhere he could. He was in and out of jail. He was a mess. And then he tore his jacket. So he went to the little shop that Karen ran, fixing leather for Hell's Angels. (laughs) Why not? And so he walks in the door, and he sees Karen, and he immediately falls in love. He says, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. I've got a tear in my jacket. Can I just stand here and look at you while you fix it, please? And Karen said, get out of here and come back Tuesday. So he got out, came back Tuesday, and she had it all repaired, and he begged her for a date. Finally got a date. Finally got, you know, more than that until one night they're lying in bed, and... uh, It's Friday, and Karen says, you know, I want to go to church this week. Church, says Bob. I've never even thought about that. You know, church is just bizarre. What a crazy idea. And he says, what do you know about church? And she said, not much. So they got a a phone directory. Remember those yellow ones, big yellow books? They got a big yellow book, and they went, church, 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 church. And somewhere in the midst of that, they found a Seventh-day Adventist church on Broadway Street in San Diego, California. And Karen said, let's go there. Okay, Sunday morning. No, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow? Why would anybody go to church on Saturday? All good people go to church on Sunday, don't they? And they have a big argument over that, and then... Saturday morning, they get up, they get on two Harleys, they whip down to uh, the Broadway Seventh-day Adventist Church, they park in front of the church where it says no parking, and uh, they get out, they smoke their last Marlboro before walking in, they go inside smelling of Marlboro and uh, booze, and they walk in the front door and meet the bouncers, two little old ladies in white with funny little shoes and long dresses. They walk over to Bob and Karen, and one of them says, you must be guests today. We have a very special class for people who are visiting. Would you like to join that class today? And Karen doesn't have time to say anything because Bob says, so what's it all about? Come in. We'll show you. I'm so glad you came today. The bouncers let him in. Now, the uh, class was in the back, way back there somewhere, in two or three rows, and some dude who was teaching it, they come in and sit down in the very back row close to the door where they have an easy exit access and where the smell can kind of go out rather than in. The guy who's teaching the class says, well, got a couple guests today. Hey, tell us who you are. Bob, Karen. (laughs) Before I start class every Sabbath morning, I always ask, is there any question anybody has about anything they'd like to uh, help us talk about today during Sabbath school? 
And Bob said, yeah, hey, how come God lets, how come God kills so many little children when, they, when the army comes through and when the pestilences come? How come all those kids die? What was this God anyway? Wouldn't that be a fun way to start Sabbath school class? You don't know the guy, you don't know anything. And the man teaching the lesson said, well, remind me your name again? Bob, Bob. Bob, that's really interesting. That's bothered me all this week too. And I've been studying about it. And I have a couple of ideas. God had worked with the teacher on that very subject in preparing for Bob. And the teacher talked about how, I don't know what they said. All I know is that at the end of whatever the teacher said, Bob said, I like it, I'll stay. <laughs> and they stayed. And as soon as Sabbath school was over, out, cigarettes, motorcycles, roar. The next Saturday they were there. And the next Saturday, the next Saturday. And after three Sabbaths, the uh, Sabbath school teacher said, do you know that we have another program right after this study? Really? What do you do? We sit around and listen to some guy talk. Yeah, all right, we'll stay. <laughs> so Bob and Karen walked down the center aisle to where the Sabbath school teacher sits, right on the second row right here. And they uh, slide in next to the Sabbath school teacher. And the preacher stands up. And what do you think his sermon topic is? Hmm. Stewardship. Yeah, that's what I, that's when Karen told me that, I said, stewardship, what a way to start. And she said, well, he talked about stewardship. He talked about tithe. He talked about offering. He talked about tithe. And then he talked about tithe some more. And then he talked about 10% of all your stuff. And then he prayed and we all went home. Bob says, yeah, we got home. And Friday night when we woke up, or before we were, as we were going to bed, Karen poked me and said, I think we ought to pay tithe tomorrow. Tithe? Are you crazy? And he said, I gave her a big long lecture, and I said, I was never going back to that church again. And I would... And Karen said, well, you know, I don't need to live here. All right, I'll pay tithe. And so the next morning at church, right down there on row two, the offering plate was passed, and Bob, who is one of the world's most wonderful, unique characters, stood up, looked up at God, dropped a dollar bill in the, in the uh, offering plate, and said, all right, God, do your thing. <laughs> Made for a unique church service. <laughs> you imagine. Have you ever stood up and told God to do his thing when you give him his tithe? Bless me. I'm ready. Well, next Friday night, Bob and Karen look at each other. So how are we doing this? God hasn't done anything. Why should I pay tithe again? We're not making that much money. Maybe it, he just doesn't do it the first time. Maybe it takes two or three weeks before he gets in gear. Maybe you're not on the list yet. And so they, this time, Bob puts the money in and stays seated. Third week. Fourth week. I ain't going. God doesn't come through. And Karen looked at him and said, Bob, I think maybe you ought to pay tithe on your little side business. Ha! But he does. It puts $5 in. The business doubles. Next week he puts $10 in. Business doubles. Next week he puts 20 bucks in. Business. Three months later, Bob was one of the top three marijuana dealers in San Diego <laughs> County. So I, when Bob and Karen told me this story, I laughed. I laughed so hard, they, th I, they thought I was sick. And then I, I finally said, you're going to be serious. This is right. Who was eating all the marijuana or what was going on here? Were the angels all smoked up? 
And Bob says, I have no idea. But man, did we sell a lot of weed. I said, what'd you do then? So one night in bed, Karen looked at me and said, Bob, I think you got to quit the, we got we to gotta get out of this stuff. We're, we're not in the wrong, we're not in the right crowd. We got to change our lives completely so we can really be God's kids. Yeah, but that makes So they called the pastor and they said, Pastor, yep. Bob and Karen, we have a request for you, two requests. What's that? Would you marry us? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Would you um, baptize us? I'd love to. And then would you please send us, help us go someplace far away from San Diego where we can start all over as God's kids instead of as the devil's kids smoking dope? I'd love to. And three weeks later, Bob and Karen no longer even owning motorcycles, were, baptized in the, were married, baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Broadway Street in San Diego, California. And they drove their new little Volkswagen away to the new home, the new place, where they were going to live as God's kids. And that happened to be the place where I was preaching for camp meeting three years later. And now I've got Bob and Karen in front of me talking about what really is going on in their lives, the love they have, the joy they have. And if you were to join them today at the Adventist church where Bob and Karen are members, after church preaching and stuff is over, after the potluck is over, they roll out two big tables in the fellowship room and then Karen brings in a five-gallon pail of peanut butter. Karen is the most resourceful gopher I've ever met. She has found a deal with Schmucker's people where they give her as many five-gallon pails of peanut butter as she wants every week. And so she brings a five-gallon pail of peanut butter and then Bob comes in carrying huge trays of bread, Dave's killer bread. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, research that on Google, would you? This is a guy who is a convict who figured out a way to make money off of bread. And when he came out, and so now he, Dave's killer bread company gives all the bread they want to Bob and Karen. And then Brenda and I and a hundred other people find ways to slip them jelly. And for the next hour, church members around Bob and Karen make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and then a crowd goes down to the homeless camps in their town and gives away peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And Bob says, I'm so happy. And Karen says, it's beautiful, isn't it? I'm so glad. God found us. And so, here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary, getting up, going to bed, smoking dope, uh, I'm sorry, whatever you're doing in life. Place it before God as an offering. It's the only thing you can do for God. But when you give him your best, oh, does he come through. Um, let's see if it works. Whoops, no, it doesn't. Go back. Okay, so I gotta go back here. Sorry about that. I go back one. Now, maybe. Come on. No. Oh, come on. Okay, there's an, no. This actually is a video, but it's hiding. There it is. 
Oh, go away, lady. Isn't, but she, maybe it's all I'm supposed to say is, whatever you do in life, make sure God keeps smiling. Come on. Hello, play. No, not you. Oh, my love, don't do that. Okay, so there is another way to do this. And I'll do it fast. You know, it's interesting because that story about Bob and Karen, uh, I put it in a book that I wrote for General Conference Ministerial Association called Story Catcher how to tell narrative sermons or how to do narrative preaching. And that was what they asked me to do, so I wrote a book about it. And I put that story in. And I have met that story in so many odd places since then. It's really interesting. Campion Sabbath. That won't do it, so let's go here. Ah, da-da-da. Maybe it just doesn't want to work today. No. You know, I'm going to give up. That's really weird. One of the things I have learned is that no matter how well you try and plan and do, something will go wrong. Look at that. It won't play. Are you my authority? You can do this? Come on, Leandro. Be the boss. Can you play it right there? Yeah. I want to tell you one more thing while this figures out what it's going to do. There, uh, it's, on a, you know, it's on this also. Years ago, I was asked to come to Campion Academy and be principal. Years ago, when we had a daughter who was born at Campion, we asked her where she wanted to go to school, and she talked about coming back here, but then her sister had gone here and graduated from here, and she said, no, I've got to go do something unique and be me. So she did that. And that girl today is... Uh, a professional mountain bike racer, top racer in mountain bikes for women in the United States, two years running. And now she's a professional coach for people who do mountain bike and road racing. And she and her husband have a little boy by the name of Seamus. And Seamus is just turning five. And a few weeks ago when we were in Southern California, and Seamus was with us and uh, Joy, and we went down to the Calamese Adventist Church. Go ahead, if it's working, make it go. And as we drove up to the church, Seamus, who had just been there for vacation Bible school, said, oh, my favorite place where Jesus is. So many years I heard it told The story of compassion A prodigal son who left the fold And found no satisfaction
So what do you think? Is it worth giving yourself totally? Do you know how to do that? I don't know how to do that. But God has shown me that he's willing to help to make it happen. And whether it's people like Bob and Karen or life, <laughs> God's right there. Eager to make us special. And he doesn't just say, have a good life. He gives us his name, his heart, his life. Lord Jesus, fill us today, I pray, that the gift of your forgiveness, the gift of your love, the energy of your creativity will fill us so much the whole world will know you because they know us. Thank you. Amen.